Hi, and welcome to the Making Our Way podcast. This week, our guest is Robert from Bliss Made Furniture, as he gives us a detailed tour through making fine, blissful furniture. Thanks for listening. Hey, guys. Good to see you this week. Hey, man. Hey, hey. What has been happening, Christy? Uh, well, I just finished up the uh, Working Hands podcast. I uh, joined oh, the right. guys over there. Yeah, Keith and Tony had a good chit chat over there, kind of covering a little bit of everything. And um, other than that, Easter weekend, went back to the farm, had a great time as always. Uh, it must have been a fertile season recently. I have a uh, a niece or nephew and a great niece or nephew on the way. So it, Easter was all about big announcements for the family. So, you know, it's just like, holy cow. The picture is just going to get fuller. And cows. F- yeah, that's rude, Christy, first of all. <laughs> well, we're on the farm, so, you know. Uh, picture get on there, here, heifers, eat some of these deviled eggs with this terrible miracle whip. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh yeah, we did have deviled eggs. You're right. We did have deviled eggs and they were delicious and they had Miracle Whip in them. Gross. (laughs) So yeah, I didn't really do anything uh, out of the ordinary, but I had some great time with the family and and, uh, at the farm and it was just a good time all in all. But uh, The only making up around there is making babies, I guess. Apparently so. Apparently so. I'm too old, so that's okay. Dean, what have you been up to? Well, last week when we recorded, that was kind of hit or miss with the internet actually went out right after we got done recording. So I had no <laughs> internet all weekend and no internet means oh, wow. no lasers, no CNCs. You know, none of the machines can run. Wow. So I yeah. actually did my best pretend Austin and did some manual machining. Uh, Holy cow. I, I alluded to those two um, branding irons I was making. Uh, so I've actually got more information on it. What it is, is they're doing a gift basket for Tyler Childers and they wanted to do some coasters with a logo on it and some field notebooks with a logo on it. So that's what my brands are going to be for to gold leaf, uh, oh, the cool. coasters and the field notebooks that are going to be in this gift basket. And so I made the brands over the weekend, uh, that laser you can USB too. So I uh, made those on the fiber laser and then I had to thread the backs, uh, to mount on the heat press machine. So that machine you have, Austin, he's got a small one like that, but he also has a big one where you like press your two thumbs and it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I went to tap them and the best taps I have are quarter 20 and I couldn't get them on the phone. I was like, ah, screw it. I'll just do them a quarter 20. I'm sure a machine that big has multiple holes threaded in the plate and it doesn't, mm-hmm. it only has five, um, you know, f- the metric five, 30 seconds. Is that what it is? No, it'd be like five millimeter one or five millimeter Eight, 0.7 or point, 5.7. That's what it was. Yeah. Well, I've already threaded everything quarter 20. And so I'm like, I'm not remaking these Brandon irons. They take hours and hours for the laser to work on. So I took a quarter 20 threaded rod and to do the five millimeter threads, you need about three sixteenths. I'm not a machinist. I'm not worried about the exact but 316th was pretty close to where you needed to be to thread uh, a five millimeter on the other side. So I took a quarter uh, 20 rod and machined the threads off down to just the straight metal and then threaded that with a, a die to get a, an adapter. And so I was kind of hoping maybe in Q3, that's something we could talk about is tapping and threading, yeah. cutting threads, die using dies. Because also you do it a lot and it seems really easy for you. It's something I have a lot of trouble with. Yeah. So I thought maybe we could talk about that Q3. But yeah, that was um, the biggest thing was just taking the cover off, dusting off, oiling up my South Bend lathe and doing some manual machining. It was uh, it was fun to do for sure. Awesome. What about you? Uh, th- threading, tapping. <laughs> just normal. <laughs> I've been in uh, full on because my kids and wife were gone for four days this week. Oh yeah, and, uh, man! I gotta tell you guys. So when I built surfboards, I worked around the clock basically. Like I mm-hmm. lived there pretty much. I mean, not physically, but I was I was in the in the surfboard facility all the time. And uh, I just I was like, I'm gonna I'm just gonna do that now. Like no, nobody's here, nobody's waiting on me. No, I, nobody needs me. And uh, so I stayed. I was in the shop every day from like seven in the morning till midnight. For the first night, I was yeah, saying, that's anything. what I was thinking. <laughs> and yeah. watch YouTube and sweat. <laughs> no, uh, no. So then the second night, I made it seven 
uh, 30 till 11. And then the third night I only made it till 10 o'clock. And then the fourth night I just threw in the towel and I was like, I'm not doing this, <laughs> but I just, what I realized is I'm just too damn old to be working that much, man. Like I, I don't got it anymore. I I'm like pussified down. I'm just broke. I'm broken. I can't now, do it. Are you anymore. 40 yet? Or you will be turning I'll be 40, 40 in a month. That's so, what I was thinking. That was yeah. coming up. But like right now, like my legs hurt. My back feels like it's about to go out. <laughs> Just think that's, if you hadn't lost all that weight, James. Yeah. That's something. Let's hold on to this because next Thursday when we record, Kristen is going to be out of town. She's going to D.C. for five days. And I was kind of thinking that could be something we discuss is projects that you didn't ask permission for or that you weren't supervised for. Uh, I've got a few stories of like Kristen coming home being like, what are you doing? And like, you shouldn't have left, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you were gone for two days that a hole needed to be cut in that wall. So we can talk about those next week. I think that'd be yeah. a pretty good one for us to get into. Yeah. Sounds good. Today, our guest is Robert from Bliss Made Fine Furniture. How's it going, Robert? Hey, how's it going? Uh, just Bliss Made Furniture. Well, we'll let you introduce it. Why don't you tell the your audience who you are? Uh, my name is Robert Bliss. I am a uh, craftsman Bliss-made furniture. I uh, custom furniture and furnishings uh, based out of Dunbarton, New Hampshire. Everything we make is uh, done with solid hardwoods and uh, done using traditional techniques. That's what we do. Where is Dunbarton, New Hampshire? The It's uh, take, it's going to be very good for the, the makers out there. Take a picture of New England, right? Find the exact geographical center of New England. And then that's where Dunbarton is. Bliss is a great word to describe the furniture because, man, you do some some amazing work. And yeah, our tagline is the finest kind. So you weren't far off with Bliss made fine furniture, but it's the finest kind, which is a New England saying, um, and uh, kind of adopted that. When I started, I mostly did 17th century reproductions. Okay. So that's where I'm classically trained. So in, in that space specifically, and I didn't really venture outside. Oh, of that I see what you're saying. Yeah. Much stylistically. Yeah. Stylistically. Um, and then once, uh, so like a lot of the time I'll focus on what the auctions are doing um, because that's kind of where I'm getting my cues on selling what's not what's selling, hot, what are the yeah. prices things are going for, you know, what are people buying? So I, I pay very close attention to the auctions. And, you know, so I'll, I'll sit there and watch four hours of Christie's and, and see what's happening. And I started to see a trend move away from the, the people that are collecting that kind of federal American furniture and get more into where the, the heat was put on the more contemporary stuff. Um, so I kind of ventured into that field more and more as I found that the market was shifting that way. And it happens to be, I mean, I don't make stuff that I, I don't focus on making things that I like. Um, sure. You're but not the it customer. happens to be that I really like making uh, that contemporary style furniture as well, um, because the, it relies on kind of a different set of aesthetics. Uh, and it's uh, from a production standpoint, it's much easier um, to make that than it is to make a federal piece that has carvings and inlays and turnings and and shells and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it's much easier to sink your teeth into the contemporary style furniture. Uh, in one way. In another way, it's actually harder, <laughs> but we can get into that too. Well, let's stick on this. Tell me about this auction thing a little more. I've never heard anybody bring up tracking auctions or, or any kind of external thing like that to set pricing. What made you aware of that? No, I don't set pricing it? that way. I don't okay. set pricing that way. Okay. I, well, if I set pricing that way, my prices would be $250,000 for a cabinet. Okay. And that that's one of the fair. things that you pay attention to, right? Is like you see what goes up, what's selling for, you know, what are the cabinets selling for $6 million? What are the cabinets selling for uh, $50,000 and on down the line into a range of, you're obviously going to have the rarer stuff. And the thing that the auctions rely on is you have to have to be careful if you're relying on that specifically, because auctions are an investment vehicle for a lot of people. They're not buying something because they like it or they want to put it in their home. They're sure. buying it because it's going to appreciate in value, which is a totally different thing. So you got to find this sweet spot and like the high, high end stuff, the, the, the collectible stuff that's got big names attached to it, the Wagners, the Nakashimas, that kind of stuff. Um, that's not as much of a good indicator. But if you go through those styles and see what is what catches people's eye, 
Um, and that's not, that's far from the only way to kind of garner that information. Um, I'm also, you know, I also involve myself in the trade journals and the trade magazines quite a bit. The high point market, high point furniture market's coming off in a week. Um, I'm not going to be down there, unfortunately. I thought about it's, this is my busy part of the year. It starts like right now. Um, so I wish I could, but, um, so there's a lot of stuff going on there. I also rely on my retailers to tell me what the customers are asking for, what the customers are going for. Um, I'm not looking for the people that buy the $50,000 pieces. I'm just looking for to take the, when I say the finest kind, I really do operate that way. I absolutely want to shoot for the best possible finest that I can make. Um, and so, you know, a lot of that comes from uh, also wanting to find the customer that's going, you're not going to sell a $50,000 cabinet to somebody and have them put it in their home and use it every day. Well, they use this stuff. That's that's how, and I can't make, can't take six months to make a high boy. And I don't have a skill to make a high boy. Like I'm not a carver. I'm not a turner. I, and most people who do make those professionally do have people that come in that, you know, there's a lot of hands that involved in making something like that. Um, you know, with the, the more contemporary stuff and the shaker stuff, it can be just my hands. Um, you know, I don't have to bring in someone who's a carver and a turner and all that sort of stuff, different disciplines to put it together. But things that are functional and affordable for kind of an everyday person still, you know, made absolutely the right way, something that's going to last them a, a lifetime. And I take a look at those pieces that are selling for, for a lot of money. Um, and I look at how they're constructed and how they're put together. And I try to replicate those methods if I can. I've also, I apprenticed for a long time with someone who knows this stuff too. That's how I got into it. Um, but if you just follow the auctions, you're also going to get some stuff that sells, you know, a Duncan Fife chair for $10 million, right? Or something crazy like that. But, but it, it's awful. It's the worst. It's pretty. But you can't sit in them. They fall apart. They're made like garbage. They're horribly uncomfortable. So, you know, it's a very pretty chair that's worth a lot of money, but it's no good to anyone as a chair. Well, speaking of a chair that's very pretty and is comfortable, uh, on your website, you've highlighted a Philadelphia Queen Anne Windsor chair. That's a mouthful what do all those words mean? <laughs> Philadelphia, city in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. monarch, mm -hmm. and monarch, mm -hmm. chair, something you sit in. All right, Windsor. <laughs> Windsor, made with sticks. Okay. And that's actually the, that is the definition of a Windsor chair. If you look at uh, how the construction is done, if the, if the uh, Windsor chairs were the first one, didn't have like a frame. If you look at like a Jacobian, or, or a different era kind of chair, once you start to get into Windsor's, legs come through the top and the structure of the base oh. of the chair is provided by the actual joinery that goes into the seat itself. Okay. Um, so there's all sorts of different styles. I like that one in particular um, because it was actually, I had uh, um, started apprenticing this guy, Bill Duke, the Duke of Dunbarton. He's <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Um, and this guy, he's been making Windsor chairs for 50 years, like a, a long time. And he's really, really good at it. Um, and I've told this story before, but I'll, I'll tell you because it's funny. But he, um, so I came into his shop one day and I had never made a Windsor chair before. And uh, he gave me the parts to a Windsor chair. Like, hey, you know, I'm behind on chairs. Can you put one of these together? And I'm like, Oh man. <laughs> so, and he's like, yeah, yeah, you can. It's, it's like Ikea furniture. You just, 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 just drill the holes and put them in there. You'll be fine. <laughs> I go, okay, man. And I, you know, three weeks later or however long it took me to put this thing together, I'd made a Windsor chair and I brought it back to him. And I'm like, hey, Bill, look at this. And he's like, holy cow. He's like, I don't think you're supposed to be able to do that. I'm like, what are you talking about? Dude, you said it was the easiest thing. And I'm like, he's like, I, I don't think you're supposed to be able to do that. So I'm like, I love this. I really enjoyed it. I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. So I started looking at what are the styles I like. And then I started looking through auctions and I started looking through books. You know, every Windsor chair book that I could get my hands on, I was just kind of flipping through and seeing what the styles were. And then I noticed that these Windsor chairs span through a bunch of different eras or a bunch of different styles. And I was kind of picking out the ones that I like and the ones that I didn't like. I love the, the bases on the Queen Anne. Chairs. And if you look at a Queen Anne chair, it's not typically 
people think of a Queen Anne chair, they think of the carved out back, you know, and, and the Queen Anne legs, um, which I didn't like that style as much. But I saw the Queen Anne Windsor chair. And I was like, this is something I can get after. So started kind of putting the patterns together to figure that out and taking a bunch of pieces, you know, like the cabriolets and, and just kind of putting that together um, and trying to replicate based off of like uh, the Philadelphia Queen Anne Windsor chairs that I had seen. This is reproduction furniture. I'm not a furniture designer. I don't design furniture. In fact, anyone that tells you they're, they're a furniture designer, 95% of the time they're lying to you. Okay. Um, they don't know the first thing about it. <laughs> I don't know the first thing about it. There's very, very few furniture designers. I'm more like, you guys like, you guys like hip hop? Sure. Yeah, hip hop's great, right? Sampling beats. You take what's good, you mash it all together, try to make something. That's what most people are doing. Even if they think they came up with an original idea, they probably didn't. They probably saw someone before. So I kind of took that that idea of the Queen Anne Windsor. And I tried to replicate that, and that's how it came out. And then I made a bunch of them and I sold them. And I don't really make them anymore because it's a lot of work to go into those, and margins are not great. It does look <laughs> like a lot of work, and I can't imagine what something like this amount of work would sell for. I had a question about so you have all the I guess originally would have been sticks, but now you have like almost dowel shapes, and they're at um, it seems like the angle is they're, they're leaning in multiple directions as they go around the chair. How does, how did you, um, figure out a way to like get everything to line up? Cause there's so many layers that those, you know, like in so many different axes that they would have to go through. How do you set that up? I, I, just from a novice, you know, from somebody that doesn't know anything about it, it looks very difficult. No, yeah. So what the what you focus on is you is the two the two angles. It's basically just two angles you have to you have to figure out. You got rake, you got splay. Splay is how far this way they go. Ah, uh, people can't see what I'm doing. Uh, how far to the side they go. Splay is how far like front and back they go. Right. So you oh, take those okay. two compound angles, and that's how you get the angles. Um, there's a bunch of different variations, and you can like English Windsor chairs will have a little bit of a different rake and splay than like American Windsor chairs, and a little bit different than made in this period and that period it, it it's a little bit all over the place and depending on the type of chair right because there's there's many many different kinds of windsor chair um but the rake and the display is really what gives it the strength if you were just to run the the uh legs straight up and down right and there wasn't any rake or splay to them you have a pretty you have a side table but it's a pretty wobbly chair it's not a great chair right sure so and the other thing is that in order for the joint to have strength, the joining piece of the top of your leg has to be in from the edge of the chair, right? If you look at like a design, like a more modern design, like a Maloof chair or something on that, the joinery for that leg is right up on the edge of the chair. But in the Windsor chairs, the, the strength is found by moving that joint in. So you have it surrounded by whatever your, your uh, seat base is, usually oak or, or pine. Um, and then, so when you, when those tapers and it's not, it's not just a dowel, right? It's actually tapered a little bit because over time, all that wood moves around and the taper of the top piece that goes into the, the hole that you bore out in the seat, sit on it, it gets stronger. Okay. So a lot of people think that there's the stretchers on the bottom. You always have, usually have stretchers unless you're Thomas Mosier and then you have a little tiny one up in the corner. Um, and you should take a look at those chairs too, if you're interested in this. Thomas Mosher makes great Windsor chairs; they're amazing. Um, very, but more of a contemporary take. Traditional Windsor chair, whether it's English or, or federal or whatever it is, usually has some sort of stretcher, right? Which is you have your four legs coming down from the seat, and then you have a stretcher that's in between the seat and the floor. And a lot of people think that that is to keep the legs from splaying out totally. Mm, it's the opposite. The joint is found. The joint on the seat is where the strength is found those bottom pieces are actually pushing, designed to push out a little bit on those legs. Uh, and, and the strength is what is of the seat because you have a two inch thick, somewhere around that range, seat where that joint is. So that's where, that's where your strength is. It's just a stabilizer in the bottom. It's not actually providing you know, a lot of structure. Um, but yeah, you, you pay attention to your rakes and your splays. There's a couple of different ways to drill those out. There's, there's many different ways to drill. So it's more than a couple. There's, there's, you get a $10 million custom machine to drill them out and then go out of business. I mean, any names, um, but, uh, <laughs> or, you know, you can do it by hand. If you, uh, Mike Dunbar, 
is a guy that has, uh, and I'm, I'm typically tell people not to go on YouTube to learn really anything, but especially woodworking. Um, but Mike Dunbar has his whole course posted online in videos that are, it's, he, it's incredible. He taught this course for a very long time in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, fantastic Windsor chair maker. And he goes through it in every single step of the detail very, very well. But he also shows you how to do it using pretty much just hand tools. So it's a really good way to do it. I like to bore mine out on a drill press. It's called a sight line and wedge. So most Windsor chair makers that are trying to make a lot of them will use a wedge. So basically it's, I'm going to get it and show you, but it doesn't matter. No one's going to see it. Um, two pieces of plywood hinged together with a, with a, a wedge on one side and a wedge on the other. Right. And then I can block, I can put blocks in that different angles. So if I know my back four spindles need to be drilled at 14 degree, um, you know, I can, I can wedge it up to get to 14 degrees. And then as I move my chair around, because I'm drilling, because you're drilling compound angles for the back too, you got to remember that, right? right? The spindles aren't just, they're not just going like this. They're, they have rake and splay as well. So in order to measure your rake and splay, you take a sight line. You have sight lines drawn out on your template. And when you're drilling it, you're actually turning it on the wedge. So that's how I get my compound angle. Some people, like I said, that, you know, some people, what, there's a lot of places that are doing high production that are using, you know, five axis CNCs and things like that. Um, mm. But I do mine by hand. Um, and, you know, it, it works for me pretty quick. The yeah. piece of the chair that has like the arms and then wraps around to the back that the, the spindles are going through. What is that piece of the chair called? Bowback. And is the bowback bow one piece, multiple pieces, steam bent? How is that curve developed? Depends. How much time do you have? Part two. Uh, Here we go. On the Philadelphia Windsor chair, we use a blocking technique. You have uh, a pretty, it's a pretty dramatic curve, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and then you can get different arms that come off of it as well. But it's, it, to make that, you can, there is some bowbacks I've seen steam bent, but when you're talking about a two inch by, you know, two inch by one inch thick piece that you're bending the, the wrong way, essentially, nah, it's not a good idea. Bent lamination also, you know, not really a great idea. But uh, but typically those bowbacks are done in like a bricklay construction. You've got like some rosettes or, you know, some kind of decorative carving. Are you carving that by hand? How, how are you getting that done? No, I, there's a guy that carves it. I'm not okay. a carver. I mean, I can, I can sit down and bust out a, uh, you know, a, a shell, you know, a carved shell and I can carve stuff. I can do it. I yeah. could carve that, but I, I'm not, don't, I wouldn't make money doing that. Um, because there's people out there that all they do is carve that They're better than, and you know, I will ever be at carving. So you pay those people. That's awesome. <laughs> I think a lot of, people. a lot yeah. of creative people need to hear that. You need to let, you know, SM subject matter experts help you out to get a better product. Uh, I'm curious, a chair is like a heavy use item. What did you use to finish this chair? That's that's a 17th century production. So it's going to be lacquer, which is more, more akin to the shellac that would have been used traditionally. So you do look traditional, like what was of the time, what's period correct. Those are kind of prompts you think of. Yeah, that's the whole point of reproduction furniture, right? Sure. Is that you're trying to recreate something that was made at that time. Um, and to get that look and get that feel, and, you know, it's fun to play with that a bit. Um, like I just did a set of occasional tables that were based off of a shaker design that I made more, a little more contemporary, but I used all those. That's what I was saying when I said furniture designers that think they're furniture designers are furniture designers. Yeah. Because you're all this stuff exists, like going back to the Greeks, basically with like the, you know, the golden uh, ratio and all that sort of stuff. These design principles have been around forever. Choose to ignore them and they do so at their own peril because they make garbage. Well, <laughs> now, if you stick to the stuff that we've known for thousands of years, I mean, the first dovetails were cut by Egyptians, what, 3,000 some odd years ago? Right? The dovetails, it hasn't changed. No, I'm pretty sure it's Egyptians, okay. but they haven't changed, right? <laughs> Get out of here. Um, but uh, I wish we had his podcast numbers. I, you want to get into aliens? I'll get into aliens. You, me right, and my we'll buddies go back show. and forth, man. It's I, it, I think I'm married to one, and I think I had I have two of them as kids. <laughs> or they think I'm the alien. I might, they might be right. I might be the alien. I think that's more likely, actually, than them all being aliens. Is that I'm the alien? That's probably true. Uh, <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh my god! 
Well, here, let me let me uh, let me derail you. <laughs> You're like, it's, what finishes do you like to use on furniture? I'm like, aliens. What? <laughs> aliens. <laughs> let that one sink in, man. <laughs> okay. All scenario. of the finishes. Here's the scenario. You're independently wealthy. You never have to sell another piece of furniture ever again. What are you going to make for yourself for out of just pure enjoyment of making? What piece of furniture are you going to build? My son's cabinet. Okay. I've been, designing it. I've been designing it for five years. All righty. Let us know what it, walk us through that. I'll let you know when it happens. No, I don't. I mean, the, obviously, like the last last thing I want to do at the end of the day is make furniture. Right. Not really. I really enjoy it. There's certain aspects of that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't get to mess around a lot with like different different stuff quite a lot, unless I can see kind of a light at the end of the tunnel, money wise. Um, because I'm I'm not getting rich doing this, and I have a family to support. And um, so I, it's very important that I focus my efforts, which is kind of difficult for me because I'm just kind of that kind of person. I'm like, I'm not ADD, but I'm like, a lot going on <laughs> usually <laughs> uh, thought wise. So it's easy for me to go down a tangent, um, you know, into that rabbit hole of design. What if I do this? What if I do that? But uh, that's not, you know, people aren't going to pay you for that. Um, right. You can't charge people for messing around. So, I, you know, in my spare time, I do get to mess around and I get to design this piece. But, um, you know, it's something that I've kind of been working on little pieces along the way, but I should probably put this in context of how I got started making furniture and why this is a thing. Yeah, I dropped on you before. He goes, how many kids do you have? I go, ah, three, two, like did you lose one. Yeah, I did. Uh, back in, um, I, we talked about this before, but I used to be in marketing and I was, I was I'd done that for a very long time. And I climbed the corporate ladder, you know, to basically the middle where I'm not like, I'm not like starving, but I'm not rich, but I'm like on my way. And I'm like, almost right. there. It's like, the, you know how the corporate stuff, but it's crazy. Oh yeah. But I made it to a point where I was doing okay for myself. And, uh, you know, I thought that I was on the path and I had, um, you know, I really enjoyed what I did too. Um, what I was doing was very interesting to me, but, um, we, I had moved, uh, down South for a job in my, uh, my son, Caleb, was born. He was born sick. He was born with a, a it's called a myotubular myopathy. Mm-hmm. It's uh, incredibly rare. Um, you know, something you're going to catch at the grocery store. It's, uh, it, he, he, was a, he was very rare. Um, but we didn't know, you know, we, you go through the thing, right? So he was, right. uh, he lived for five months and one day before he passed away. It rocked my world. Absolutely rocked my world, as you can imagine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right one of those things. Um, and so, uh, so I, you know, I was trying to figure out my stuff and I lost my job because my performance, obviously my son's lying in the hospital for five months. Like my performance wasn't great. <laughs> and I, you know, it was all, that's a whole nother story, but, um, and I just, I was just kind of lost like a minute. And, uh, so I actually came back home to New Hampshire. Um, and, my dad had asked me to pick something up for him that was down at Bill's that he had been working on. It was like a, well, it was a hood for a, for a stove. And I had known of Bill. I had talked to him once or twice before, but I never met the man. Mm-hmm. And I went down there to pick it up. And this is a week after, you know, my son died in my arms. So you, my mental state, you know, not great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not ideal. Yeah. Um, and I walk into the, and this is why I don't question stuff anymore. I just go with it. Um, I walk into this guy's shop and, uh, and I meet him and, and, um, learn a little bit about him. And he'd lost a son too, back in the eighties, uh, Sam, he drowned in a pond and, um, Sam was much older than Caleb, you know, different kind of scenario, same, but different. Um, and, uh, he's like, man, I know you've made some furniture before. Cause I've made furniture since I was a kid in in high school, pretty much. I've, I've always kind of together like that even sold some of it too. Mm-hmm. But I never thought it was ever something. It was a hobby. Right. And I did on the side for fun. But it was anything that was feasible to do or that I could live any kind of life doing. Um, Cause that's kind of what I was told, you know? Right. But hey, you know, uh, and I walk into this place and this guy, Bill, he's got a view of the mountains. He's got a, a uh, you know, a huge farm up there. 
his house is filled with these just visual antiques and oil paintings. And, and he's the happiest dude I've ever met in my life. And um, he goes, Hey man, why don't you uh, come in here and work for a little while? You know, I know you've made some furniture. Come help me out. He was getting to the end of his career. And I was like, okay, great. That little while turned into two years that I was in the shop with him. Wow. And I bought the house next to him. Now I'm his neighbor. With much to his chagrin. Now we're still like, <laughs> very, very close friends. Um, but he kind of taught me what I needed to know. He, he'll be the first to tell you too. Like he's, he's about a Windsor chair and he can whip out some stuff, but like, he's not, he's not going to be in fine woodworking. Neither am I really. Um, you know, they're not, we're not making museum pieces over here, but he's an excellent businessman. He knows what people want. You know, so talk to people. He knows what's, what's, he's a good businessman. He runs, he's figured yeah. out how to live a very good life for himself doing what he's doing. So that's what I wanted to, you know, that's what I wanted to tap into. Well, I mean, at first it was like, I was, I was a wreck. Yeah. I was, if I wasn't for this man, I'd honestly be dead. There's no way that I'd be talking to you guys right now. Not a chance. Mm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure maybe I could have done it on my own, but I'm pretty sure a different man sitting in front of you today, if it wasn't for this man. And um, so that, that's kind of what got me going on this path and really changed my life in a lot of different ways. Now I have this, you know, I have this beautiful family mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I got to spend five months in one day with my boy. Um, it's, just, it's one of those things. You just, you can't really, nobody has control over anything really. I don't think. Right. You can, you can control all you want, but this is one split second moment. And there's a lot of people out there know exactly what I'm talking about. One split second moment and everything is completely upended and changed and you never know when it's going to come. As you least expect it. And it changes everything. Yeah. Uh, the more I, the more people I meet like that, you can, you can, you know, pretty much right away, <laughs> you know, when someone gets it, it's a yeah. thing, but that's what sent me down this path. Um, what did that, what did I want to relate that back to? Your, your ideal or your, uh, if you could just make any piece of furniture. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I've, I've been, you know, I don't get to work on like art furniture a bit, but it's a mm-hmm. passion of mine. And I've been playing around with these designs for, five years to try to figure out how I want to put this together. And I'm learning that, um, and this is why I don't say, you know, I say there's very few people that are like real true designers. You come up with something original because you get in the weeds quickly with a design where you guys ever have that happen where you just think about all the possibilities of what can happen. And you have, you know, before, you know, you have a hundred pages of sketches and none of them make any sense because you've been jotting down ideas. And you think mm-hmm. that if you get the ideas out there, you can probably put something together from it. Absolutely. They're quite, lines up for you. And then mm-hmm. I'm just hoping for one day, cause it always comes, you know, on a shorter term, typically when I'm dealing with someone else's, cause you know, it's usually a little simpler than what I'm trying to do. And there's a deadline, but when it comes, it's like, it hits you and you're like, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that day hasn't come yet, but it will soon. Just got to keep working on it. So you said that most people are not furniture designers. What is your, or who is your favorite furniture Furniture designer of all time. Most people are dead. Right. But who are they? Like if we're if, <laughs> Most if of the somebody's gonna said, Google some it. Some comedian like, said that. I don't even know. Um, no, yeah. Uh oh man, I could go on for days and days on that. Literally days and days. I don't really have a favorite. Um, I'm my favorite person. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there's so there's so many people out there that are so incredible. Um, you know, historically going back and then I, I don't just look at furniture designers either. I love boats. I love boat design. I have uh, a 1920s um, mahogany runabout that I've kind of been working on. Um, I love boats. I love how they're designed. Um, I think that, you know, some industrial design as well, photography. Uh, I love looking at furniture in movies as well. Yeah. I'm always, my wife kills me because I'm like, pause it, rewind that. The Jacobian chair. Oh my God. Is that original? Did they actually buy an original to put in that movie? No, that's not original. What are the carvings? Zoom in. And she's like, can we just watch the, the movie please? But there's <laughs> the inspiration kind of comes from everywhere because furniture is around us all the time, all the time. And it, and it really shapes how we live. Re- you live differently based on the furniture that's in your house. Sure. You don't think, yes. you don't think that's true. 
Try it. Try it. Move all your furniture around one day and see how it affects your life. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it's a, it has a huge impact on who you are as a human being, the things that you use and surround yourself with every day. So I've always been fascinated by it, especially coming from my background in marketing, dealt a lot with how to use spaces and designs to sell people things, retail and events and things like that. And now I think about how, how and that's the first thing I do when I look into a design is I, I ask people, how are you going to use it? What's it going to be used for? One of the first questions I ask. And mm-hmm. usually the design is based off that because you want it to be functional. You think about how, does it, how is it going to be used long term? Because you also want it to last a long time and be useful by generations, right? Um, you don't want to go into the dump. But the design comes from everywhere. I mean, I, I couldn't name one. I, could, I couldn't even start. But I will say that the best place to go for inspiration um, is books. Yeah. Stay off the internet. So you have the internet. It's like everything. It's everything that's ever been created. It's ever. too much. Yeah. And 95% of it is garbage. And that's why I love books. It's like, hey, you know, there's a there's a there's gold in that river, right? Go find it. Okay. But a book is like walking into a jewelry store. It's all right there, right? Um, you know, go to go to the furniture section of a library or a bookstore or whatever and start thumbing through the things that are worthy of print because that's a mm-hmm. good jumping off point. And then, you know, the, the auctions, design houses, and things like that, find the best possible thing you can find and then work your way back from that is what I, what I is the best. I think that question of Austin's brings us to a good part of the podcast we call this or that, where we give you a few different options or questions and see what your response would be. Looking through your furniture, I see you've used bird's eye maple, you use tiger maple. What do you think is another animal that should also have a species of maple or a cut of maple? Where are you guys coming up with these questions? <laughs> what kind of question is that? Is that a real, am I supposed to answer that? It's a real is question. Is this a joke? Is no, Ashton Kutcher in here behind you? This is a real question. I'm, I pass. Pass. Okay. <laughs> um, I've noticed that you have a post where you are trying to integrate a docking drawer and you know to plug phones and stuff, smart equipment inside of a drawer. Obviously, you're training classical furniture, but what is some other technology? you could see making its way into your build process? Oh, I try to keep up on all that stuff. Um, I Big time. And I actually, I like those docking drawers, but I haven't, I like the the idea of the docking drawer. But like mm-hmm. 80% of the time, you get the idea in a box in front of you. It, it's it's not it's not great. Um, but I don't know yet. I haven't seen one. I haven't held one in my hand. So I don't know. Um, my My thought is that it's kind of, I think they thought about the right things. They thought about the heat, thought about uh, the cord management. Um, they thought about the ease of use, that all the keys are there for design. But the way things are designed in a modern way is they there's someone who sits on a computer with a CAD program and says, okay, how strong do we need to make this? They make it that strong. But that's not the way life works. Right. You make it 10 times stronger than that. So I, I'm, I'm kind of at a, that's not to say that's all hardware. There's some hardware out there that's that's amazing. Maybe this is one of them. I don't know yet, but I always try to keep up on that stuff because what I'm trying to do here, there's a lot of folks out there that will try to make something exactly like it was made in the 1700s, right? And there's a whole market for that. And those guys are phenomenal at what they do. And it it requires an an intense amount of patience. Many people who are very, very skilled at what they do and hyper-focused in what they do. And it requires a lot of money. Um, But I'm trying to kind of find the mesh between those the way like you ever see those uh you ever see those videos on youtube or, or whatever or on uh, instagram or, or whatnot where someone takes the uh the, the like a 1960s bronco they put it on a brand new chassis yeah retro mod right retro mod that's my furniture that's awesome. looks it looks the the you know the part looks like it's made that way it's got the it's got the pin mortise and tenons. It's got the exposed joinery. It's got the hand cuts. This it's got got a hand scraped top, right? With a with a nice finish on it, but everything works perfectly. And I I have been integrating sometimes much to my chagrin, but you know again I'm not the customer. But I have been integrating even European hardware into some of my cabinetry that is shaker cabinetry, 
right? Built, you know, real thick mortise and tenon, but I'll use brass hinges and Dynapro drawer slides um, because this thing is going to be used as a kitchen or as, uh, you know, mm. whatever it is. It's going to be used every day. Um, and then, you know, I, I also go, I have a little, I'd love to be able to show video and images because I'll, I'm very visual in the way I'm, this is actually incredibly difficult for me right now. <laughs> I'm 100% visual in how I think. I can't even tell you I'm stumbling over my mind right now. I have to see something or show something. I literally, like, I don't look at people when I talk to them. I, I stand next to them with a pen and a paper and I draw, I want to say. And that works most of the time, but this is this is hard. But anyway, so my four uh, slide system is a single monorail center slide that um, it's made the same kind of way where you have traditional drawer boxes, right? But I put a single slide instead of relying on the squareness of the drawer over time, which is never square over time. I just put a single drawer slide similar to the ones that you see at uh, you can get it like a, a woodworking supply house, mm-hmm. literally just a you put a couple pieces through a shaper, you know, with a with a tenon that, so it slides. I don't cut the dovetails because that actually causes problems with the extension, the extension contraction. I just cut the slide. I just want to keep it straight. Weight of the drawer does most of the work. And then so I make sure that even my 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 drawers that are uh, traditional slides are operate perfectly. Because you, you like I said, I mean that's why like I hit on Duncan Fife earlier, a lot of these guys that made beautiful furniture, but it's not it doesn't work as for, you can't use it. So it's right. What good is it to anybody? Well, yeah. speaking of what's good of it to anybody, uh, I know a lot of woodworkers aspire to be able to inlay bow ties in their woodworking. I know you've done that a few times. I'm wondering, could you give our listeners any tips to putting a bow tie in a piece of crack furniture? Only if you need it. Don't do it for show wackos. <laughs> <laughs> think people like they're putting bow ties in every which way to Sunday, like 10 bow ties in a thing. Do not put something in a piece of furniture unless it's necessary. You, you're not impressing anybody. It looks awful. That's my <laughs> The one thing I noticed people in particular. People are going to be like, oh, jerk on your podcast. I love it. Keep going. <laughs> the one thing that I, I particularly liked on, I think it was one of your more recent bow tie uh, videos is that you you drill the little hole at the end of the split and you put a dowel in it. So, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, this crack is stopping here. Yes. And then I'll make sure, you know, and I was just like, genius. I mean, that was. Good question. Yes. Good that question. was smart. So that is something I picked up from Bill. Okay. Like how many times have you been the final sand of something, right? It's like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, there it is. And everybody wants to fill that thing. It's not the way it, it, it happens because over time, those cracks open up. So by putting, you take the thinnest, if it's a tiny, usually it's like, even if it's a little hairline crack, you still have to address it. Um, the way you can stop that wood from splitting any further, if it's a, whether it's a crack that happened in drying, or whatever it is, wood's crazy, right? It's crazy stuff. Um, right. Or if you're doing a repair, you want to find where that crack ends, put in that dowel, that's going to stop that crack from spreading any further. Then you go ahead and do what you need to do for the rest of it. Um, I, I picked that up from him because he, when you're doing that repair work, that's kind of a method that they use. Um, but depending on the size of the crack, you use a different size dowel too. But everybody skips that step. Um, yeah. It's not, you know, going to probably be fine, but it takes almost no time at all. And it, it, it's insurance. A lot of, actually, a lot of what I do is is for insurance. Like it's not hundred percent necessary, but if it's if it messes it up, if something goes wrong, it's catastrophic for me. Right. So just by taking the little bits of time beforehand to do the things that I know that I, if I do them now, it'll prevent the chance of this happening. That's going to cost me a lot of money and time. Then hundred percent, you do those things, and that's one of the things like. If there's anyone that's listening to this that wants to do this professionally, like really is, and you have to have a passion for it. It has to be what you think about all the time. If there's anyone out there that wants to do this professionally, go find somebody doing this professionally to show you and teach you. It's not something you can learn any other way. You have to 
you have to uh, firsthand get the experiences from another individual who's good at what they do and learn how they're doing what they do. There's little things that you pick up on and processes that you wouldn't have even thought about that it's really, really hard to teach in any other format. That's why I, I really hope that, um, I mean, one of my, one of my biggest goals probably is to do for someone. And I, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. I don't know if I'm ever really even, who knows, right. And really, <laughs> but I would love to have the opportunity to do what Bill did for me for somebody else, maybe down. Yeah. I think about that all the time. And that's, that's part of what keeps me going. This is not an easy thing to do. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not hard. It's not, it's yeah. not as easy as people think it might be, but um, right. yeah. So I also know that you are a huge, major, huge fan of river tables. So I'm wondering when will you be doing, is it a river table or coffee table? What's your next river table project? You guys are trying to make me like, you're trying to get me to, you're poking the bear. You're poking the best. The whole podcast asking me this crazy question. River tables, what's going on here? Oh my gosh. You had the best. I'm telling you, that reel. Because I was like, when when you started it, I was like, boy, I don't think I've ever seen Bliss make a river table. I don't think that's his. I was I was confused at the beginning because I'm like, I don't, I'm confused. And then when you carried on i was like okay this that reel Sorry. made perfect <laughs> sense after watching it so and yeah, folks no, are just gonna uh, have to go go to your page and watch it on through i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tell what happened they need to actually go to your page and watch that reel because it is the best river table reel i've ever seen and i'll I just think, i think so we'll just yeah. i think it is <laughs> i think it i think it's the best the best river table ever made it's accurate <laughs> The most literal river table ever made. But no, uh, actually, I mean, I really don't mind them, to be honest with you. Like, I'm not going to make one, and I probably wouldn't put one on my house, and I never want to see one. But, um, (laughs) I mean, they're fine. There's all sorts of stuff out there. Like, it's just, there's there's something for every little piece of it. And river tables are having their moment right now, and that's that's fine. Um, That's great. I, I see some people out there that get really creative with them. I'm not a big fan of, in general, when someone takes a material and tries to make it look like another material. I just don't, I don't appreciate that. I wouldn't really consider that art in any way or something I'd be interested in. Um, that's why I really like people like, I like watching people like Crafts with Dre, who mm-hmm. she, like oh, she yeah. uses the epoxy as it, as itself. She celebrates that material for what it is. She's not trying to make it look like something else. She's not trying to make it do something else. She's using the, she's exploring that as a material specifically. And so I like the stuff that she does. Um, but, you yeah. know, the epoxy is also like for, for an actual, from a functional standpoint, not that functional for a tabletop. Um, it's, right. it's really not. I mean, even like the, there's certain coatings that are used in marine um, environments that are epoxy based or, you know, like that, 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 that do work in different applications and, and there's uh, epoxies, epoxy based glues and adhesives that work really, really well in certain applications, but like pouring a whole bunch, it's, I don't know, I get it. but um, no, I mean, from, from, from an aesthetic standpoint, you know, there's uh, there's people that are doing really, really cool stuff with the, uh, that kind of construction right now. That's not epoxy river table. That is these big carvings. Uh, you know, I've seen a couple up there of like, like there's snakes coming out of the table. They're all carved by hand. Oh, that was today. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's some, there's some really like really, really creative stuff that people are doing out there. And like, I, I, I'm very, uh, like my, from my personal standpoint, like I have a very stated personal taste that I don't really share a lot with other people. Um, but, um, you know, there's all sorts of different arenas that I can appreciate the craft. I can even appreciate the craft and Ikea furniture. They really can. Because you know what? They have some chairs that are the most comfortable damn chairs I've ever sat in. And they're <laughs> phenomenal designs and they're built pretty darn well. But as a company overall, mm, forest depletion, uh, horse meatballs, like a lot of weird stuff going on there. Um, not not great economically or not great for the environment, um, not great in general. And, you know, there's a lot of other companies out there that I, that I think have really, really good designs. 
they're always talking about like eco-friendly this, eco-friendly that. Oh, it's right. a bunch of horse nuggets. It's absolute right. garbage. Anyone who wants to sit in front of me and tell me that their piece of furniture, that they took a piece of wood and shipped it across an ocean so that it could be made by basically slave labor into a piece of furniture, and then the wood gets subsidized by the government, by, by a communist government, and then ship it back <laughs> over the same friggin' ocean to sell back to us for cheaper than what they paid for the wood. If you want to sit here and tell me that that's sustainable because it's made out of some kind of thing that a friggin' panda chewed on, get out of town. <laughs> I, You know what? I'm making my furniture as close to, it's as close to me walking out in the woods, cutting down a tree, dragging it onto my lawn and making a table as I can get. I'm never going to sit here and, and preach about sustainability, sustainability, that, but you know, you figure it out. All right. Yeah. So that leads us to our next question. <laughs> Everybody that comes on the podcast, I like to ask them the same question. And that is our three tools question. If you were getting get started doing what you do now, again, what would be your first three tool acquisitions? What? Start What's from the, the first three tools that you would buy to get started into doing what you're doing now? Oh, tools. Uh, yeah. Hmm. I was going to say, Robert, 108 people have had no problem with this question. <laughs> I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it. Calm okay. down over there. Okay. Jeez. Okay. Get a little snip. <laughs> Man, stop yelling at me. I'm thinking. This is a hard one. I'll draw it for you. Um, a checkbook, a drafting table, and a phone. Oh. Checkbook Ooh, and a go. phone. Those are new. I, we haven't had those before. Yeah, that's new answers. I like it. 324 tools mentioned. No one said checkbook or a phone. Those are good. Drafting table. Phone has got to be probably the most important thing. How yeah. else are you going to do anything? Yeah. Pictures, posting, look on Everything. the internet. Well, that's for the thing. Inspiration. There's a lot of people out there that are really, really good at what they do. Right. Yeah. And if even if you're like, yeah, a, right here. like a hot. <laughs> You're damn right you are. <laughs> the finest kind, brother. That's the way we right. roll. Yeah, you guys are all part of that clan now, by the way. I'm rolling you right in with it. Um, if you're uh, if you're like, like I, I like doing, I mean, well, Christy's seen my blacksmith thing. <laughs> yeah. It, it's C plus at best, right? Uh, especially, you know, we won't get into that. But like, I love doing stuff like that because I love, I love taking the design and the construction ideas from that kind of trade and kind of seeing maybe I can integrate it some way in what I do. Usually it doesn't end up happening because someone's usually thought about that before and it didn't work out. Usually a reason why. So usually I ask Bill and he goes, that's dumb. And I go, okay, thanks, Bill. Find us something else. But anyways, I like doing blacksmithing. I like messing around. I like turning. I'm pretty good at turning, but it, there's people out there that are much, much better than I am and relying on different people to bring into a project Honestly, it's one of my favorite things on the planet because I'm one guy now, right? I pretty much relegated myself to that. I'm not doing any employees. I'm, I'm not going down that path anymore. It's, it's, it, maybe one day, maybe one day I'll be a Martin Gobel. Bless that man because the, the things that are required to get to the point that he's at now, about, about to launch a furniture line, the Kindred Heirloom Collection in High Point next week. Man, that, that guy is like, that's, I'm going to print out a poster of him and hang it in my shop. I had Lamborghinis on my wall when I was a kid, because that man, that's beautiful. <laughs> but, um, but being able to be where I'm at, which is a small shop with partner, you know, and that kind of thing, you can expand your capabilities of what you can build so much by bringing in other people around you. Those people that you work with help expand your skills. They're taking, you're getting a different perspective on that. There's only so much you can do pounding away in your shop by yourself. Um, I always, and that's why I love these like maker collab projects and things going on out there because it gives a chance for people to work together and see what people can team up and do. And it's always fascinating to see, right? Like when you see those maker collab projects and stuff like that, um, it's always fascinating to see what two different people uh, with two different skill sets can put their heads together and figure out. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of relying on other people to, to bring in on projects. That's great. And so if somebody wanted to collab with you, where would they find you? No, check out, uh, I'm on Instagram at bliss made furniture. Um, honestly, if actually, if, if anyone has a, uh, a project that has a furniture piece of it, 
um, reach out to me. I'm also like, I, I love chatting with people if they have questions or something. If you're, uh, if you're out there and, and you got a question on something um, that you think I might have an answer for, like shoot me a message. Sometimes I'm good at getting back, depending on the time of year. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I love chatting back and forth with people like that. I'm always trying to post stuff up there. I've also, uh, I didn't mention this earlier, but um, I'll be launching a podcast coming up here. So cool. you, you guys want to hear my voice. Um, it's not going to be a, a crazy thing. It's not a weekly thing. It, it's going to be just a couple episodes. Um, but I've been working on that for a little while. It's called the finest kind. So that, that'll be, uh, that's, that, awesome. that's hit the, that's going to hit soon. Um, and, uh, um, what else am I on? Listmadefurniture.com. Um, my whole, well, most of the furniture that I made, I'm pretty bad about taking pictures of furniture, but stuff that I did take pictures of, it's up on that website. Got blissmadefurniture.com. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, also one more, I got one more plug in here. My wife's, uh, uh, Remember the girls. She's got a podcast. Everybody's got a damn podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> my wife's podcast, uh, but her but her foundation, Remember the Girls, um, is focusing on women with excellent disorders. Um, that's actually the language anymore. The disorder was thinking, but excellent uh, uh, things. Um, and she does amazing work through that that mm-hmm. uh, that foundation. So check out Remember the Girls. That and they're also on Instagram and all the social media. That's awesome, Robert. This has been a real treat. We really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, but I predict that your podcast is not going to be just a few episodes or just a few short or just a little whatever. You're gonna once you're gonna be addicted uh, to it. I'm well, telling you, you're uh, gonna be long. You're when when you're up at a hundred episodes, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be messaging you say, uh huh, just a few. But that's my prediction. I might record a hundred episode, but I'll only release five. <laughs> All right, we want to take a minute to thank all the folks over at Patreon for their support. And if you'd like to join them over there, patreon.com, Making Our Way podcast. And then you'll get a weekly little extra bit of content from us and a sticker pack. So we've got top tier, Marion Ward from Creative Ward Gallery, Vincent Ferrari from Digitally Creative, Justin from Bear Make It, Scott Horn from Daddy Yourself, Matthew from Artigino Sorio, Marcel Este, and Ozark Spirit. Then our middle tier is Tony Langer from Langer Works, Brenda McDonough from McDonough Design, Susan DePlantis from Hearth and Garden Art, Stephanie Taddeo, Kyle with Footwork Woodworking. All right, and then our first tier is Jacob with Griffin Makes, Keith Drennan from Blackthorn Concept, Jacob with Other Dog Design, Eric from Overall Maker Works, Jeff Stein, a weird guy, Dave Bauer, Caitlin Landerno, Morley Kurt, Greg from Platte Valley Woodworks, The Grant Alexander, Jen Griffin, The Black Sheep, Brian from Moonshine Leatherworks, Makeshift Podcast, Maritime Knife Supply, Jay-Z and D from Just My DIY, Henry from HT1 Metalworks, Brad Harrison from Brad's Customs, Steve Delaney from One Old School Pirate, Kelsey Watson, Steve at Making at Home, and then Dan Gallagher from Goofballs by Dan. Thanks, folks. All right, Dean, you had mentioned in the first quarter that you guys were wanting to kind of dig into. Tapping and threading. Yeah. And so die cutting is a little easier for me with the threads, but I'm telling you, man, one of the biggest hurdles I've had in deciding to do branding irons as a product is cutting straight threads. Every one that I thread, I put the handle on and you don't realize it when you're just threading. And when I put a 14 inch handle on, it's got a five degree tilt to it. Yep. That's what's some of the magic. How how do you get these straight? Well, the problem that you run into is if you if you don't have the stuff to make it happen, it's very difficult. Like anybody who's trying to thread uh tap or th- thread or you know, anything by hand, you're gonna have a bad time. Like yeah. so oh. when we say tap, we mean internal threads to screw into. When we say uh thread, we're talking about external threads to make something a screw in. Right. You're either making yeah. a nut or a bolt. And I'm struggling material. to make a tap into the, the material. Right. So are we talking about female parts or male parts? So I'm Both. talking about making the female. I struggle making the female part. Okay. That makes more sense to me. Basically, you want to eliminate some variables, right? And the main variable is that you're trying to do it by hand. Yeah. So the easiest way is to get it into a machine um, that you can use to tap, like use it as a structure to tap. So I've tried to use my drill press and whenever I do that, either I just mar the hell out of the you know the internal diameter or my taps break. Right. So, uh, so 
here's what you need. Cause the way that you're doing it in the drill press is not the way that I would do it. The way that I would do it is the workpiece is going to be clamped down or in a vice or something that's never going to move. Right. And you make sure that you are perfectly straight on with the workpiece. Right. And then there's this thing and it's called a spring tap follower. That's what I need. That's what you're doing in the lathe. And that's the part I don't understand. I tried right. to just do the chuck head and like, okay, well, this is going to hold my tap straight, but it's, it's not straight because when you put those taps in the stupid handle with the twist on the side, it naturally seats off center. Right. So tell me about this spring thing. So the spring tap follower, by the way, they're a whopping $22 on Amazon. <laughs> so and, uh, buy the brown and sharp one. That's the one I suggest. And, uh, basically what it is, is it is a, imagine like a, um, like a center punch, like an automatic center punch that you push down and it makes a little dot. It's basically that minus the trip mechanism to make it punch. So it's just a spring loaded, uh, 60 degree center point. And then on the back side of that, when you take it apart, it actually has a cone because taps, depending on the size, if a tap is big enough and it's a quality tap, it's going to have a center hole in the back of it that you would use the point for. If it's a smaller tap, like one that just you can't physically drill a hole in it because it's so small, they'll put a point on the back. So you that spring tap follower has two different heads that you, you can just flop oh, it in for yeah, end yeah, and then yeah. screw it back together. Um, and so what you do is you would pull like in the drill press, you're going to put that on your tap and it, the back end of it is chucked into your drill chuck, you're, you know, in the, sure. in the drill press, you're going to pull down on your handle and you're going to take up the spring of the shaft the, of the spring tap follower. Once it bottoms out, you lock your drill press quill handle. Oh, so, so you not, don't keep tension. You, lock you don't it. keep tension. No. Cause you need two hands to tap. Yeah. Depending on the material, sometimes taps are harder to get started. So what I do is that uh, spring tap follower is actually holding it in its correct spot. Then I have my hands on the tap wrench and I'm pushing down onto the workpiece and spinning to start the, the, the tap. Sure. Every turn, you need to turn it back a quarter turn. Oh, okay. Right. Cause you're making a curled chip and unless you have a spiral tap, which I know you don't, you have like a standard uh, tap. tap. Yeah. Um, all of those chips that you're, your, those chips are curling up inside They're They're, they're in front of your tap, right? So you're, you're clogging the hole that you're trying to cut. And the way that you make them fall to the bottom of the hole is that quarter back turn. Okay. So yeah. you turn one full rotation, come back a quarter and then start again and it breaks those chips and lets them fall down out of your way. So they're falling down into the bottom of the hole. And that's what most people end up breaking taps is because they don't let it, the chip break. Yeah. Right. Mm. Um, the other thing is you should be using some kind of cutting fluid. Yeah. Like, you know, um, I bought that it, red stuff you told me about. Sure. Yeah. Magic tap or um, there's just, I mean, there's a bunch of different brands, but I use a little bit of all of them, but it's, um, those are the most important things, you know, and it's, it take your time, take your time. So I will say anybody who doesn't have a big drill press or don't want to buy this uh, spring assisted tool, uh, what I did end up doing, which worked pretty well is I have one of those, it's the bar that has the tiered drop down uh, hole sizes to help you drill straight. And like I was doing a quarter 20. So I put my tap in the quarter inch hole but use that to make sure that my tap was straight on the material. And that helped me greatly get these right. two holes tapped. So you can use that. And they also sell uh, one that's specifically made for tapping. That's the same thing. It's called a tapping block. And it makes you stay straight as you're, um, even if you're drinking Bud Light. Even if you're drinking Bud Light. So any tips on uh, cutting threads with a, a die? So the die is more difficult because it's not, you don't have a point. You don't have anything that you can, you know, base it off. Of. Like you don't have any way of getting assist. Sure. So the way that I do it, um, I will back the jaw. Like if I, if I can, if I'm going to try to do it in the drill press, yeah, I back the jaws of my drill press Chuck up into the Chuck. 
So the face of the drill chuck doesn't have anything. It's a, it's a flat face. Sure. Then I'm going to use my right hand to pull down and make pressure on it. And my left hand, I'm going to try to get it started. And once I get a couple rotations, let go of the drill press, finish yeah, it's out like my your hands. flat index 90 or whatever. Right. And you're pushing on the back of your um, die wrench. And then yeah. I'll say anyone who's drilling and tapping a hole, those combo bits work really well. I, I've had a lot of success <laughs> with those. Um, Never. And- don't ever buy those fucking things. <laughs> ever. Throw them I away. Broke, when I was working on my house grinder, I broke one of those in the... I, it took me longer to get that hole drilled out than it did for me to build the whole grinder. Yeah, that's they're terrible. Don't ever buy. Did you guys see Chris Powell's reel where he just broke one and he was tapping something? I don't know. He was probably mm-hmm. tapping his grinder stuff too. I, I saw he was working on some, uh, oh, yeah. his forge. So the first that's he did that, and then it's House saying that he breaks them all the time, and then it's Grant Alexander. I break those all the time, and I. I every single one of those motherfuckers, I've told them to throw those damn things away and stop doing it. So if I commented, I was like, none of you assholes will ever listen to me. <laughs> and I hope they keep breaking them. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like this episode, please give us a review and subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. So reach out to us on Instagram at Making Our Way Podcast or over on Patreon. You can find all of our latest individual content on Instagram or YouTube. Austin is at High Caliber Craftsman. Dean is at Dean underscore DePlantis. And I'm at Twisted Twine Woodworking. Thanks for joining, friends.